Sir, there is a tradition in this country, in fact, one of the prides of this country, is the peaceful transition of power and that no matter how hard fought a campaign is, that at the end of the campaign, that the loser concedes to the winner, not saying that you're necessarily going to be the loser or the winner, but that the loser concedes to the winner and that the country comes together in part for the good of the country. Are you saying you're not prepared now to commit to that principle? What I'm saying is that I will tell you at the time, I'll keep you in suspense. Hi, I'm Shokono, and this is Shiver Down Spine, a podcast about how we make speeches and how they make us. In this pilot episode, I guess, I'm looking at this concession speech. Normally a bit of a footnote to history, but something that's getting a lot of discussion this year because of one that might not happen. That's the man you heard at the beginning, American presidential candidate Donald Trump and his decision in the final month of the presidential election campaign to toy with the world about whether he'll get up and accept the results if he loses. But why is that controversial? What's the point of a concession speech and what makes one good or not? We've actually had a bumpy year for public figures publicly admitting defeat and bowing out. How long ago does this feel? I will do everything I can as Prime Minister to steady the ship over the coming weeks and months. But I do not think it would be right for me to try to be the captain that steers our country to its next destination. That's David Cameron resigning as Prime Minister of the UK after losing the referendum on remaining in the European Union, which was his idea. I'm actually proud of the work that my coaching staff and I have achieved during our time at the helm with England. I would have loved to stay on for another two years. However, I'm pragmatic and know that we are in the results business. That's... England football team coach Roy Hodgson, cruelly interrupted by ringtones as he put a positive spin on being eliminated from the European Championships by a nation with the smallest population ever to reach a major tournament. Candice has been fantastic throughout. I am chuffed to bits for Candice. Well, well done. Of course, I'm a little disappointed, but actually to be able to walk out there at the end, the hamper, see everyone, yeah, it's really special. That's the Great British Break Off's final episode on the BBC, with Andrew gracefully conceding to Candice after the climactic picnic spread challenge. I don't want to be the distraction and diversion that I think a former Prime Minister inevitably is on the back benches. So it's with a heavy heart, because I love this part of the world, I love being an MP, I'm going to go on living here. Being a constituency MP is a great and fulfilling job, but I've come to the conclusion that actually the best thing Uh, is to stand down and that's why I'm making the announcement today. And that's David Cameron again, resigning again, uh, this time from being a Member of Parliament. But what what do do I find so fascinating about concession speeches? I mean, obviously there's the value of the the, the act of making a concession, uh, the value of it to, you know, democracy. Uh, And if Donald Trump has done us all a kind of service, it's it's to make sure we don't take this for granted. Many countries can only dream of their leaders making boring cliche-filled but peaceful concession speeches. 
for me, it's got to be the unique human insight of seeing someone who's just seen their greatest dream, something they've spent months and years working towards, crushed. And minutes later, having to speak to the world about it. They're usually at their lowest level personally, which brings out emotion from even the stiffest podium robot. They're technically at their lowest level of influence, because who needs to listen to the loser? Yet it often brings out both searing honesty and sometimes, um, even though you're dealing with someone who by definition has not been that great right then, it brings out greatness. It brings out greatness that far outlives the words they would have said if they had one. One example that struck me most was the concession and resignation speech by Nick Clegg after the 2015 general election. Quick bit of context, Liberal Democrats had always been the third party in British politics and had unexpectedly entered government in 2010 as the minor party in the first coalition government for 36 years. The popularity took a massive hit and entering the 2015 general election, well, I'll let Nick Clegg speak for himself. I always expected this election to be exceptionally difficult for the Liberal Democrats, given the heavy responsibilities we've had to bear in government in the most challenging of circumstances. But clearly the results have been immeasurably more crushing and unkind than I could ever have feared. For that, of course, I must take responsibility, and therefore I announce that I will be resigning as leader of the Liberal Democrats. So far, pretty efficient. But it was where he went next that interested me. Sam Canicott used to work for the Liberal Democrats, used to be one of the people who helped with these kinds of speeches for Nick Clegg. And I asked him how he took it. The call was to New Zealand, hence the Skype crackle. I watched the speech live, um, having been up all night on polling day in 2015 and watched it in Cornwall, where I'd been um, campaigning for a couple of weeks in what was or had been a Lib Dem stronghold where we had held four of the five seats and on the morning after polling day uh, we no longer had any of the seats in Cornwall or indeed anywhere in the southwest. so it was a pretty depressing time. And what do you think um, what, do, what do you think now over a year later is, is like most remembered about, about that speech if anything is it remembered? Uh, it's definitely remembered, so the speech is definitely remembered by Liberal Democrats um, and people. I think the 2015 election was interesting because there was a sort of acceptance going into the campaign that we were going to have another hung parliament, so no party was going to win a majority, and the polls all sort of indicated that. And I think on the morning after polling day, there was sort of a shock, not just among Liberal Democrats who had seen their party nearly wiped out, but actually among people who were expected, were certainly not expecting a Tory majority. So there wasn't a feeling of celebration necessarily. And I think there was a, the feeling was one of shock. I think that was the sort of context of it. Um, and Nick Clegg feeling that very personally. So only just hanging on to his seat and having to face the media and talk about not just his own position, but the position of his party, which was in a pretty dire um, situation. Um, and one of the things Nick said in that speech is that uh, the Liberal Democrats are like a family. And I think on a, a day like that, it did feel sort of like a, a family in, in mourning. And I think that, that definitely resonates. I think the thing, though, that people remember most, and certainly I remember most, is the, 
is the sort of defiance that he was still very clear that going into government was the right thing to do. And that, that's interesting because that's often sort of like uh, the thing that people say you don't want in a concession speech. You don't want sore loser or you don't want someone uh, someone sort of like hammering home on why they feel, still think that they were right. It's supposed to be magnanimous. But there was that defiance, uh, the, the line about this was part, if this is part payment, that then it yeah. was worth it about a number of things. And that, that was... Yeah, and this, the idea that it's this... Yeah, the idea, I think he uses the phrase, so the um, the losses endured are with selfless dignity. So this idea that, yeah, it's slightly self-righteous looking back on it, that um, we've been voted out, but we still know we've done the right thing. Um, yeah, when you look at it, there is, you know, I mean, Ed Miliband resigned the same day. I can't remember anything about his speech. So the leader of the Labour Party, the main opposition in the UK, um, so I think having sort of being that that way and having still ticking all the boxes of being gracious and thanking the party, but going on to make that case, uh, I think that's what made the speech stand out. If our losses today are part payment for every family that is more secure because of a job we helped to create, every person with depression who is treated with the compassion they deserve, every child who does a little better in school, every apprentice with a long and rewarding career to look forward to, every gay couple who know that their love is worth no less than anyone else's, and every pensioner with a little more freedom and dignity in retirement, then I hope at least our losses can be endured with a little selfless dignity too. Do you think that speech will stand out more than his uh, Rose Garden speech when he joined the coalition or his acceptance speech when he started to be um, a party leader? Like, w what will they use in the sort of soundbite in those? Oh, uh, that's very interesting. And actually, in his, in his speech, he, which I thought was also possibly slightly arrogant, but at the time didn't seem so, said that he was very clear that history would judge the party well, which... You wouldn't. I don't. You don't normally make those sort of comments when you've just been kicked out of office. Do you think that the parts which were maybe added or which were um, more resonant um, after uh, because of the result that happened nationally that wasn't expected was the part about liberalism um, standing up against the tide of politics of fear and grievance? Um. Yeah, so I don't know whether it was necessarily added, but I think the scale of the defeat meant that it, it resonated more. You know, it was a an attack on fear and grievance. This idea that fear and grievance have won and liberalism was lost, um, definitely because of the scale of the defeat stood out. And I think when you look back on it and what's happened since, particularly the EU referendum result, um, it that sort of makes, you know, it sort of means it makes more sense as well. And I think that no one's necessarily had an answer to it yet, but this idea that there is this crossroad, uh, this sort of divide now between a negative politics and a positive politics almost sets out a path potentially for the Liberal Democrats to, to come back. And obviously it wasn't a strategy or anything that he outlined, but it does, it's a starting point of, of one, I think. And that divide now seems even clearer, I guess, after the um, EU referendum result. And finally, uh, that, that's quite interesting is like how, how that speech will be seen 
will partly depend on what comes happens afterwards. If if there is a lot more, then it might be seen as a fight, the beginning of the fight back, or it might be seen as a kind of there's a light going out all over Europe because of the referendum and other things that happen to to squash liberalism. Yeah, I think exactly. I think it will be. It's, I think either way, it's some sort of milestone. Either it marks the end of of um, you know the dying days of liberalism. It might be seen to be a sort of last case for liberalism, or it might be the it might mark the start point of a of sort of a fight back um, for a more positive politics. But one thing, it seems to me, is clear: liberalism here as well as across Europe, is not faring well against the politics of fear. It's no exaggeration to say that in the absence of strong and statesmanlike leadership, Britain's place in Europe and the world and the continued existence of our United Kingdom itself is now in grave jeopardy. Fear and grievance have won. Liberalism has lost but it is more precious than ever, and we must keep fighting for it. Here's to those who love not to wisely, no, not wisely, but too well. To the girl who sighs with envy when she hears that wedding bell. To the guy who'd throw party if he knew someone to call. Here's to the losers. Bless them all. Here's to those who. Maybe that's a comforting thought for Trump and Clinton. Even if they lose their concession speech, should they choose to give one, could be a historic rallying cry or a rueful prophecy. But, you know, they'd be remembered. This was a one-off for the US election, but when Shiver Down Spine starts, as well as listening to famous speeches and talking to experts, I'll follow the stories of normal people who make that leap to speak, even if they would never think of themselves as speech makers. To hear a trailer and to get alerted when I finally get this thing started, uh, please follow me on SoundCloud and check out the website in the description. Thanks so much for listening. Please let me know what you think. Trouble free tomorrows May your sorrows all be small Here's to the losers Bless them all